0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, March 14th, and we're talking energy and industrials. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool contributor Jason Hall via Skype. How are
1: you doing, Jason? I am fantastic. It's good to be back on. It's been a little while. I think this is the longest gap since uh, uh, shows that I've had in a little while. It's good to to hear your voice.
0: Yeah, Jason, we we haven't chatted (laughs) since around the new year, so it's good to catch up with you. We've got lots of news this week. We're going to talk about, uh, give our listeners a preview on how to handle their taxes as we approach the dreaded tax day, April 15th. And we're going to talk about some of our favorite yield codes. These are companies we've talked about a lot on the show. And some of our listeners had asked us to kind of talk about some of our favorites. So we're going to do that. But first, Boeing is in the news this week. Uh, there was a second tragic crash of the 737 MAX aircraft on Sunday that occurred in Ethiopia shortly after takeoff. Uh, tragically, killing all the passengers on board. The pilot had cited issues with the plane's controls leading up to the crash, and in the ensuing uh, uh, aftermath, uh, the 737 Max has, has now been grounded uh, by Boeing following uh, you know a, a large number of groundings from from countries as, as diverse as the U.S., China, and India. Um, shares of Boeing are down nearly 12% this week on the news. Jason, how should investors be approaching this uncertainty around Boeing in this latest tragedy from this uh, airplane?
1: Yeah, you know, first obviously this is it's pretty tragic what's happened. Um, you know, when you think about these kind of things, you know, two two planes crashing, you know, on the other side of the world, um, we actually have a colleague who had a friend who was killed on this latest crash. So, you know, it kind of comes home a little bit um when that kind of thing happens, but you know, looking at it just as uh dispassionately as possible. Um Frankly, I I don't I don't see this as really a catalyst for investors that are value hunting to try to look at uh, this is like a great opportunity to necessarily to buy Boeing. I mean, if you think about this just from a from a pure valuation perspective, um, Boeing shares were pretty much at their all-time high um, in late February. So you know, not too long before this all this happened, um, the stock was at its all-time high. Um, if you go back to uh, Christmas Eve the the kind of the low point for the for, for stocks over the past uh, <laughs> decade really um, shares are still up 27 percent so we're talking you know less than you know less than three months Boeing shares are up 27 percent still and that's after you know losing what I think it's like 17 or 18 percent from the from the high 15 15 percent from the high so you know, I, I don't think we're talking about a stock that I would necessarily be running out to buy. Um, on on, you know, this this this. Hey, it's really cheap right now. Um, I mean, if you think about it, just from a pure earnings valuation perspective, right now the uh, shares trade for almost exactly 21 times uh, trailing earnings. Um, that's that's. I mean, that's that's a. I'd say that's probably fair value for Boeing, with with. No overhang like the the 737 Max potentially represents. Um, I mean, it was trading for 25 times earnings, um, you know, three weeks ago. So, if you if you look at it in the aerospace industry, you look at it for defense contractors, which you know these are that's the two areas where it makes makes a living. It's it's an expensive stock, and it generally always is because it executes so well. Now, thinking about it from kind of the longer term perspective, um, if if this is a stock that you bought. Six months ago, three months ago, five weeks ago, um, I, I also I can't say that I think this is really a catalyst to necessarily sell. Um, one of our our colleagues, um, Adam Levine uh, Weinberg, who who writes um, a lot about uh, airlines, the aerospace industry, um, pointed out really really well uh, just a couple of days ago that the seven thirty seven Max uh, the airlines don't really have any alternatives. Uh, the Airbus, uh, I think it's the A320. Correct me if I'm wrong yep. on that, Nick, but I think it's the A320 is the other kind of similar narrow body aircraft that that airlines are buying that's similar to the 737 MAX. But they, they have a backlog that's like five years at their maximum output capacity, which is like 750 planes a year. They can't build anymore. So it's not like Air, you know airlines that are lined up for the 737 Max they they have somewhere else they can go to buy uh jets that they need for their for their for their operation so the other thing too you go back to the you, not too long ago the dreamliner was it maybe 4 or 5 years ago the 787 dreamliner I don't know if you remember Nick the uh the lithium ion battery problems that they had you know that <sighs> fleet was ground fleet was grounded um, yeah, you know, these lithium-ion batteries—they were just—they were catching on fire on the planes. You know, obviously, it's—I you know, don't want to compare that situation to to two jets that have crashed and killed you know hundreds of people, uh, but it was—you know—it was a severe concern that you know planes would spontaneously catch on fire in the air. Um, it was quickly corrected, and uh, you know, that seven eighty seven has been a very, very successful plane. So I think over the long term, you know, Boeing's going to address this and going to get it taken care of. The business should be fine, uh, but I just don't see this as a catalyst to, uh, to to necessarily jump in and buy, or even really to sell, as far as that goes.
0: Yeah, Jason, I, I agree with you completely. There, uh, it's kind of a wait and see yeah. position here. That I mean, the seven thirty seven Max, the numbers that I've seen is that 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 aircraft represented nearly a third of Boeing's profits. Boeing had been expecting the F thirty seven Max to make up maybe ninety percent of its deliveries in two thousand nineteen. So, of course, in the near term, that's a really, uh, really significant uh, cloud over the stock as we as we see how Boeing can resolve. Uh, the safety issues with the plane. Of course, is this. if this ends up being something they can fix over the air with the software update, you know, it could be just a little bit of a speed bump uh, for the company. But if this is something mechanical and you have to do a full redesign, that could really, really weigh on earnings for a long period of time. But really, yeah. when you look at the company over the long term, as you mentioned, Jason, when we look at these large passenger aircraft, it's really a global duopoly uh, between mm-hmm. Boeing and Airbus, and that dynamic is not going to change based on this recent news. So, as you said, we'll have to see how the 737 MAX safety concern uh, gets shaken out over the next weeks and months. That's going to be de- definitely a, a near-term cloud over the stock. But the, but the global environment for aircraft is still bullish over the long term, and the competitive environment hasn't been changed significantly by this. Uh, any thoughts before we move on, Jason?
1: No, I, I agree. I agree
0: 100%. Awesome. Awesome. Well Jason now I want to talk a little bit about before we get into our discussion on yieldcos we've gotten a couple listener questions about schedule K1 taxes so we we've spent a decent amount of time on this show you know in the past 6 months talking about MLP companies and companies that might pay this type of income that can complicate your taxes when you own an MLP Business, Jason. Just for for first off, for our listeners who aren't familiar, can you talk about what Schedule K-1 is and when it might apply to you as an investor?
1: Yeah, it's uh, the best way to describe it is a pain in the butt, complex tax form that has lots of individual lines that you have to uh, input. If you do your taxes yourself and you itemize your deductions, you have to input each of these individual fields into your tax software to properly calculate what your tax obligation is. Uh, MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships, are, are commonly called a pass-through entity. Uh, they don't pay corporate income taxes because they're not a corporation, it's a partnership. Uh, and you, as a unit holder, which is uh, MLP speak for shareholder, uh, are uh, a partner uh, in it. And, and that means that you uh, get a share of, of, of the earnings that it passes through. And here's here's where it can get tricky. If you have multiple MLPs that you own, and here's the here's the key thing: these are these are dividend stocks. These are stocks that you buy because they because they're cash flow efficient. Because of that, they don't have the tax the tax impact. They can pass through an outsized amount of cash flows, and they pay typically pretty high yields. Uh, generally, you know, five percent and, and above, and a lot of some cases, well above five percent. So That's what makes them attractive as an investor. Uh, you're going to end up generally paying a little bit of higher tax rate. Sometimes your tax rate uh, on the distributions that you get uh, is regular earnings, so they don't always qualify for that long-term. Uh, uh, capital gain tax rate. That's 15% for most people. It's 20% for some people. Um, so you you may pay a higher tax, um, um, effective tax rate on the income you get from them than you do from regular C corps and and real estate investment trusts. So so that's that's one of the things is that you know you have to it's more complex to fill out the taxes and to file, and you can end up paying a higher tax rate. Now here's the other part of it too. And this is really really important. If if you're investing inside uh, a retirement uh, vehicle, so you you you're if you can buy individual stocks in a four hundred one k, if you have a if you have a Roth IRA or traditional uh, IRA uh, that you're buying uh, shares in, uh, you could actually end up if you own MLPs inside those accounts, you could end up having to pay taxes um, on the dividends that you get because of a rule. Called something called UBTI. It's unrelated business taxable income, and some of the distributions paid by a lot of master limited partnerships qualify for UBTI. The threshold's pretty high. You have to you have to earn more than a thousand dollars across all of your per in a year from all of the MLPs that you own in all of your, So if you have let's say you have a Roth IRA and a and a traditional IRA and you have some MLPs in both, you have to add it all together. And if you exceed $1000 in UBTI in a year earned inside those retirement accounts, then you may have to pay taxes on, on on it. So 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 that's an additional complexity that it kind of adds and that's why in a lot of cases it's 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 for most investors sometimes it's better to just avoid owning limited partnerships. Um, now, I will, say, I will say this this is something really interesting. The Brookfield uh, kind of family of limited partnerships, they explicitly say in their frequently asked questions on the taxes section um, that their MLPs are generally fine uh, for American investors and Canadian investors to own uh, in their retirement accounts because they don't pay UBTI. Now, the caveat with a couple of them. Is that they do have some revolving credit uh, instruments that they have available to be able to use that are kind of a last resort credit instrument they have, that if they tap those, it could generate UBTI. But in general, they, they, they don't. And I personally own uh, two of the Brookfield MLPs inside my 401K, so I feel pretty confident that, that there's not going to be any tax implications from from those companies. But in general, the Schedule K-1 is just kind of a pain in the butt document because it adds complexity, especially if you do your taxes yourself, because it's going to add probably a half an hour of time in you know plugging these individual lines. Maybe an hour if you ha- if you own three or four of them uh, into your into your tax form every year. So if you pay somebody to do it, they might want a little more money if you're if you're giving them K-1s. Um, but in in short, that's that's pretty much it.
0: Right. It basically, because a partnership is a pass through entity and you're the owner of the partnership and that the income of the partnership is getting passed through to you, it has to be Mm -hmm. accounted for through the Schedule K1 in the same way your income, you know, say uh, from dividends might be in a 1099. So it's a special form to cover that and it adds extra complexity. It's also one of those forms that's notoriously one of the last to come in. So if you're a person who likes to get your taxes done early, it's something to be aware of. Make sure you have all those forms in. It's not to say that. uh, that uh, you shouldn't invest into into a company that's going to give you the Schedule K one. It's just to know what you're getting into, particularly Big when go. it comes to tax season. Uh, it's going to yep. be a little bit of extra effort. Um, yep. Jason, now let's move on to our main topic today, where we're going to talk about some of our favorite yield codes. And the kind of the inspiration for this came from a question from our listener Cam Kane on Twitter. He asked for us to uh, do a show diving into the American yield COs, Terraform Power, Pattern Energy next era Energy and Brookfield uh, Renewable Partners. Before we dive into those businesses, though, Jason, uh, you know for our listeners who may not uh, be familiar with what a yield co is, can you talk about what exactly a yield co is and how it fits into the kind of tapestry of the global energy market?
1: Yeah, in, in short, yield co is kind of a it's a little bit of a catch all term um, that traditionally, what a yield co is is it's really a vehicle to um, to To kind of fund these large, uh, utility scale um, uh, energy projects, primarily renewable, So you think about solar and wind projects to be able to develop these big projects and then to monetize the the production of the of the power that they sell and make money on the cash flows. And generally, the way it works is is a YLCO uh, would be sponsored by either. Um, uh, uh, project developer. So, for example, Pattern Energy um, came to be because of uh, Pattern um, Development, which is a privately held uh, renewable energy, primarily been a wind energy. Project developer uh, for a number of years. And they actually share the same CEO. So it was a vehicle to, to find to use the capital markets to develop and monetize these big projects. Then you have Next Era Energy Partners, which is sponsored by Next Era Energy, which is the biggest, one of the biggest utilities in the United States and the biggest renewable energy utility. In the U.S., you've got Brookfield Renewable, and it's uh, uh, I guess almost a subsidiary now, which is Terraform Power, which Brookfield Renewable owns um, almost seventy percent of, and they're sponsored by Brookfield Asset Management, which is one of the world's biggest infrastructure asset, uh, real estate asset uh, developers in the world. So, so that's when somebody says Yulco, it's 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 a energy producer that is sponsored by some big asset developer or um, a utility company. Um, and the, the thesis for investors is yield. That's, that's it's, it's right there in the name, is that you're going to make money from the dividends or distributions that they pay out. Uh, they, they typically take on a lot of debt to build out these projects, uh, but the debt's typically at fixed terms over very long periods of time. And then they sell the power from their wind assets or, or energy, or from their solar assets, or in like a Nextera Energy, for example, owns a lot of natural gas um, distribution resource um, assets. And then they sell those things on these really long term contracts, like 20, 25 years. Uh, and they make money on the difference between their operating and their debt costs and then the cash that they sell. So you can get these really good, predictable, long term dividends. So that's, that's the thesis, and that's, that's what makes them really interesting to, to, uh, to investors.
0: Yeah, Jason, and and as we were kind of prepping for this show, you had mentioned some kind of macro trends as we see energy shift over toward more renewables, and the the cost of each individual kind of unit of new electricity, you know, regresses more towards zero over time. That the role kind of yield codes play as the middleman between these between these power power companies um, puts them in an attractive position. Do you want to talk a little bit about that thesis for our listeners and kind of how that fits in?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? You think about you're a big utility or southern company or or you know, Duke Energy or one of these big guys. Why would you want to go to a middleman to buy power? And it just seems like it doesn't make sense to do that. The reality is if you're a utility and you need more power than you're able to produce from your existing assets, it's especially if you're a regulated monopoly, you're a power producer, it's not really you don't you don't just go Contract a, a, a builder to build you a, a, a coal or a natural gas or a you know wind power plant. You don't. It's not that easy. You ha- typically you have to get approval from your regulator, which is often the state, because you have to pay for that, which means you're going to have to take on debt, which is going to mean incremental expense, which means that you're going to have to go to ratepayers to sometimes increase your rates. So there's all these steps that you have to go through. And uh, furthermore, there, there's been some utilities that have really had some serious debacles over the past few years with these big projects that they've tried to develop and that just haven't panned out, and ratepayers are on the hook for something that has, has failed. So if you're if you're a utility and you and you need to add a little bit of incremental power, being able to tap a, a Terraform power to buy a certain amount of electricity um, is a great way to be able to do it because you can meet that incremental need without having to add capital expense. Uh, add leverage, which means adding additional risk for your for your shareholders, and not have to go through the process of getting approval from your regulator to to do all of those things. So it's really a great situation um, for for these independent producers, these yield codes, to be able to fill a need um, that really really supports the utility's ability to to provide uh, low cost, especially renewable energy, uh, to to their ratepayers. Um, now one thing that you brought up that's really important you want to talk about um, the like the accelerator depreciation that's another big issue for the utilities I think that's another thing that's really important.
0: Sure so I mean we, we've seen you know as the cost of renewables have come down over time that that makes these existing assets like coal and, and things like that the value of those assets are, are reduced over time because the uh, marginal uh, you know when when you install um, these new renewables uh, once they're once they're physically in place they're going to continue producing, uh, uh, energy at, at a marginal cost that, that is much lower than, than each incremental bit of energy you have to produce via coal plants and so as that happens over time and, and those plants become less economical those have to be written down uh, uh, by by utilities over time which which creates additional pressure um, on the business from the ability to to put more cash to work to expand and kind of transition their power assets uh, does that kind carry- Jason, I'm kind of rambling here yeah. out here a little bit. No, so, it does. So, it it so. does, and
1: I think the key the key part of it is that the incremental cost, right? You think about, especially wind and solar is coming down quickly too. But especially wind, it's cheaper for a utility in many cases to buy wind from a from a a patterned energy uh, than it is to continue to fire a 40 year old coal plant, right? In terms of the per unit energy production costs, so. They have this old asset that's too expensive to continue. It costs them more to maintain and use that asset than it might be to buy incremental power from, uh, from you know one of the yulcos, and they have to write off the value of that of that old of that old asset. So it has a negative impact on their books if they try to replace it by accelerating the depreciation of it. Um, it's just, you know, it's 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 another way that uh, renewables are, are and these yulcos are really kind of disrupting, uh, the utility industry, but at the same time. They're kind of providing the utilities with what they need to to address the disruption that's happening,
0: right? right? They, they, they operate in this nice little space where they're not subject to the regulation uh, uh, that uh, existing utilities have to deal with. When you talk about having to negotiate increases in rates, as well as they're not limited by these existing assets that put pressure on, on, on the ability to the business, uh, you know, for these yield codes to allocate uh, their capital in the best way they could. Um, yeah. let, let's Let's. Let's go uh, talk about some some of these yield codes that we really think investors should be paying attention to. And the first one I want to talk about is Brookfield Renewable Partners. Uh, uh, Matt Delalo and I spoke about this company, uh, you know, at, at some length on, on a recent episode. You know, when you look at Brookfield Renewable, obviously uh, most of their assets are hydroelectric assets. They've been moving more recently into wind and solar. What do you like about Brookfield Renewable Partners as a yield code for investors to take a look at?
1: So one thing that 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 kind of jumps out at me is, you know, and it start it started the stock has has bounced has bounced back, but over the past year the the stock price continued to it just it fell pretty pretty steeply and it really pushed the yield up uh, because of the way that the folks at uh, Brookfield uh, tend to run their their businesses. They really really have a long term focus and. They think about these assets and what 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 can they generate over a five-year period, over a 10-year period, uh, and longer. And they, they don't get caught up in managing to the quarter-to-quarter Wall Street mentality. So one thing that Brookfield Renewable has done a lot over the past uh, year, year and a half, is they've done a lot of what they call um, asset rotation, asset recycling, where they take assets that they don't really project. That asset's ability to grow uh, cash flows at the rate that they want to generate the kind of returns that they want, and if they can yield a good premium by selling that asset, they'll sell it, and then they take the capital that they the proceeds, and then they're gonna they're gonna hunt and they're gonna find the next opportunity to redeploy that capital into assets that are gonna generate higher returns than what they just sold. Now, the short-term impact is that is it might be a quarter, it might be multiple quarters, when they don't redeploy that capital, and you see a short-term impact on cash flows. But in the long term, it, it it absolutely always pays off because these guys are so good at at being disciplined and then finding the next thing to buy. So they sell something that might generate two percent, three percent year-on-year cash flow growth, and they buy something that's going to generate upper single digits, maybe even lower double-digit uh, year-on-year cash flow growth. I mean, they're just really good at that, and and then and, and often when they sell an asset, they can get a, a really good multiple on the cash flow yield of that asset, and then what they buy, they often pay a lower multiple than what they realize to to generate that cash. So they're just really really good at capital allocation, uh, and then the second thing that they're really good at is they're good at that once they own these infrastructure assets, uh, and in this case, we're talking about power assets. They're really good at, at at standardizing and 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 making sure that they just ring all the costs out that they can to maximize the cash flows and to maximize the output of these of of these things. So, for example, one of Brookfield Renewables' great sources of cash flow uh, is from Terraform Power. I think it owns like 69% of Terraform Power. Uh, they they helped provide a large cash injection that allowed Terraform to buy this uh, big uh, Spanish uh, renewable energy producer that increased Terraform's cash flows something like forty percent uh, year on year. So. So they they also helped push this initiative for Terraform Power to sign a deal with GE to take over maintaining their North American uh, wind fleet, and that's going to reduce the the cost of maintaining their wind turbines in North America by like ten percent. So these things just they flow right to the bottom line, um, and and it just so if you're looking for a steady, solid, you know, buy it and forget about it, uh, high yield. Uh, uh, stock. That's. I mean, I love. I love Brookfield Renewable for that. And then, you think about its ability to grow. The Brookfield Renewable uh, forecasts between five and nine percent year-on-year long-term growth of the dividend payout. So the ability to grow that dividend uh, regularly by growing cash flows over the long term uh, makes this a great, really buy-and-hold reinvest those dividend stock. I'm just a huge, huge fan of, 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 of most of the Brookfield entities, uh, Brookfield Renewable, especially right now.
0: Right. Uh, Brookfield Renewable, if you look over its history, it's delivered a 15% total annual return, which, you know, obviously, that takes into account the dividend. But, I mean, if you can compound your wealth at 15%, particularly as we look at the way the trends have to move when it comes to renewables over time, there's going to be real opportunities for them. You talked yeah. about uh, you know their asset recycling, and 2018 was really a period in which, in which you know Brookfield Renewable is going through that in a really significant way, and they've opened up a lot of liquidity on their balance sheet to allow them to to move, uh, start redeploying capital to drive uh, new uh, investments and, and to continue to drive returns. They have over $2 billion in liquidity on their balance sheet. They've been able to you know, have their, their debt uh, structured in such a way they don't have any maturities for the next four or five years, so they can really start deploying their liquidity uh, to grow the business. A- as you mentioned, the track record of management to just continue to allocate capital in a prudent way and drive returns for shareholders uh, is really attractive and really an attractive way. To get exposure uh, to renewables, I, I will say you know a lot of folks will look that they have a large uh, portion of their assets in hydroelectric power, and maybe it's not as exciting as wind and solar, but those assets really are can give you a really dependable return over time. Uh, really, uh, we've talked in the past, Jason and I, about the issues that you can have from a matching supply and demand from an energy point of view with solar and wind. You avoid those issues uh, uh, with hydroelectric power. So I, I really like the way they've allocated their assets. I like their track record. I like that they have a strong history of prior returns. It's really, really a great business to look at and, and just you know, put in your portfolio and, and, and you know, be able to sleep at night pretty well. Jason, you mentioned Terraform Power. That's the second yield co. I'd like for mm-hmm. us to talk about. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Brookfield Renewable and Brookfield Asset Management together. Uh, the Brookfield family, you know, g- took a majority interest in in uh, uh, Terraform Power back in 2017. Bought it away from Sun Edison when they were in bankruptcy. This is another instance, as we mentioned, of Brookfield being able to buy assets at attractive valuations. Talk about an asset you can buy at a bankruptcy. Rarely do you see better valuations than that. And they've really been able to, as you mentioned, pump cash into the business to allow it to continue. To grow, when you look at Terraform Power uh, as an opportunity separate and apart from Brookfield Renewable, and the ticker, this is ticker here is T E R P. What uh, advantages does Terraform Power have versus Brookfield Renewable when it comes to an investment to differentiate between the two, and uh, which do you find more attractive today?
1: So one thing is you know going back to the whole Schedule K one thing, uh, Brookfield Renewable Partners is a limited partnership. You get the K one, yeah. You know I, I address the fact that they that the Brookfield uh, Partnerships—they tell you you can own them in a retirement account. I personally do, so I don't have any concern about it. But if you do have any issues, or and there's a lot of cases you're just you're you're buying in a taxable account, and you, again you may have to pay the higher tax rate. Uh, there's more complication, uh, especially if you're dealing with uh, a larger portfolio, and you may own. Uh, You know, a multitude. Uh, Terraform Power is not a limited partnership. It's just it's a regular old corporation, so it pays out qualified uh, dividends. You get your ten ninety nine. It's it's just a lot cleaner. Uh, It's a lot easier. So that's just kind of a nice thing to know. Um, In terms of kind of the thesis, it's 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 a it's a wind and solar play. It really is. You know, that's that's where their assets are. the dividend yield's a little bit lower. I think it yields around six percent or so, and right now the Brookfield Renewable yields probably six point four percent, something like that. So there's you know there's a seven or eight uh, percent premium yield you get from Brookfield Renewable today. Uh, you know that can change pretty quickly over a few a few trading days, uh, but in general Brookfield Renewable has paid a higher yield. So that's part of the exchange for the for the higher taxes, lower taxes going to Terraform Power. Um, I think in terms of pure growth. Uh, from here, Terraform Power is a little smaller, um, so, so there is a little bit more potential uh, to grow its asset base. Um, I think Brookfield Renewable has, kind of, prioritized giving it the tools to be able to grow its per share cash flows. Because you have to remember, Brookfield Renewable gets, based on what it's paid to buy its stake in Terraform, I think it gets a, a, a cash-on-cash yield of, like, 11 or 12%. Uh, based on what it paid for its for its stake so it's it's getting a very high rate of return uh, and as Terraform power is able to grow its dividend um, you know there's there's a lot of incentive for Brookfield to grow Terraform power because of its ability to grow that cash on cash yield um, it, it, so so as a shareholder, you're very aligned with the the majority owner of terraform power. so I think that's a really, really powerful advantage that Terraform Power has to be a market-beating dividend growth uh, investment right now. I really, really like Terraform Power a lot.
0: Yeah. And, again, the Brookfield relationship really gives you you reassurances that they're going to be managed in a prudent way. If they need capital, that relationship with Brookfield Asset Management gives them access to capital at attractive rates, things like that. So, So, definitely an interesting opportunity, particularly if you want You know, the Brookfield relationship, but more of a pure play on wind and solar versus Brookfield Renewable, that's going to get you more of that hydro exposure, which I personally like, but, you know, different investors may have different preferences. Right. Um, Let's move on and talk about Pattern Energy Group. This is another Yield Co. focusing primarily on wind and solar. And this is a company that, you know, has really been among one of the highest yielding stocks on the stock market over the past year or so. They've had some issues. Uh, you know kind of continuing to finance their dividend the number I saw is that they paid out 99 percent of their available cash flow last year as dividends so really yep. want to bring that number down as you look at pattern energy group what stands out to you and what should investors be paying attention to
1: so I think that's the that's the big thing right it paid out basically all of its cash flows last year to cover its dividend if you go back to the, the end of 2017 uh, I think I think the company had increased its dividend every single Quarter like sequentially every single quarter it had been able to increase its dividends since going public, uh, and it had to halt that uh, that increase because of the fact that its cash flows kind of stopped growing. You know, the part of the federal tax legislation that was passed a little over a year ago now, um, one of the things that changed was uh, the 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 ability. There was I don't want to really get into the weeds very much, but essentially it affected. Uh, uh, the 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 pool of 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 debt that was available to develop these wind and solar uh, projects, uh, the ability to share in some some uh, some losses that were beneficial for highly profitable organizations to invest in these projects to be able to offset their earnings and to reduce their tax exposure. Uh, so so the pa- factor take that and also uh, interest rates haven't gone up over the over the past year. It's just been harder to get a lot of these projects financed. Uh, at the same time, pattern uh, their their largest uh, wind uh, wind uh, uh, project is is in Puerto Rico, um, and I mean it was a long time when that for that for those those wind turbines just out there not producing any cash flow at all because they couldn't be protected connected to the grid because the grid was right. basically down. Uh, so that that took a uh, that took a bite out of out of its its cash flows um, for much of the year prior. Um, and kind of created this situation where the dividend had to be frozen where it was. It wasn't cut. It was just frozen where it was. Uh, but there was a lot of a lot of concern, and the stock was shorted pretty heavily because of this expectation that the dividend was was going to get cut uh, over the past year. Um, Mike Garland is the CEO. He's also the CEO of Pattern Development. That's the sponsor, privately held um, uh, project developer that sponsored uh, Pattern Energy. Um, that he went. He kind of followed the, the Brookfield model a little bit, and they kind of did some some, some asset rotation. They sell, They sold off uh, a couple of, of projects that um, they they weren't necessarily getting the best cash on cash yields from. They were a little more expensive for them to operate because they geographically weren't really located in the same area that they tended to operate in. So they they sold off those assets, and they've been steadily kind of redeploying that, uh, and it's it's starting to pay off. You know, their cash flows they increased double digits this year. Which is good because if they didn't increase, their dividend would have cost more than their cash flows. So, you know, they were able to avoid having to to cut the dividend by kind of reallocating and re, re, rejiggering their their, uh, their their portfolio of assets. Um, the the company just did something that I think is really interesting um, with their most recent earnings. Is they actually outlayed their guidance for the next two years and, and explained how they're going to be able to get to that. Targeted 80% payout ratio, meaning that that it will take about 80% of their cash flows to cover their dividend, giving them a 20% buffer. Um, that that two-year guidance kind of broke out, you know, between asset rotations and their ability to tap some of their other liquidity tools, that they would be able to grow their cash flows 20%. Over the next two years, mostly in 2020, some second half of 2019, but mostly in 2020, and and how they would be able to accomplish that without having to sell stock uh, to fund any of those capital projects, and that's important. With the dividend yield still being close to eight percent, it's hard to generate per share cash flow growth when you're going to be essentially paying eight uh, percent to to. to you know, to, to come up right. with the cash to do it. Um, so, so this is definitely higher on the risk reward side. Um, the 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 potential the 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 reward is you get a, a yield that's you know a good twenty percent higher than most of the other yield codes if you're willing to take on the risk that management can't pull off what they're they're saying they're going to be able to do to build a little bit of a gap to make their cash flows a little bit more secure in terms of protecting the dividend. I think the worst case scenario is they make a really bad investment decision into something that they can't bring online, and their expenses go up while their cash flows don't grow, and they end up having to cut the dividend because you know something 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 happened on the way to the on the way to the Coliseum, as the as the the show says. Um, so it's really it's just risk reward, right? If you if you if you don't want to take on that risk and you want to guarantee the predictable income pattern, energy is is not the way for you to go. Look at Brookfield, look at next year energy partners, we'll talk about here in a second. Uh, but if you want to play that risk reward, you know, pattern pattern's worth a look.
0: Yeah, Jason, I, I think, you know, when you look at the issues that they're facing trying to get that payout ratio down, the plan that they've laid out, you know, you follow this business closer than me. What, what kind of track record does this management have when it comes to handling these types of issues? And when you look at, you know, the, the return opportunity here versus the risk, uh, would would you be buying shares today? How how do you feel about the business? You know, give a little context for that.
1: So of of all of these these Yulcos, my largest personal stake is in Pattern Energy. I've been a f- relatively aggressive buyer over the past year year and a half, um, and primarily because you know I'm 42, I'm I'm not looking for income to for my retirement today. You know, I'm not I'm not this is not a source of income that I need today. I have a long-term thesis. If something if the worst case happens and they have to cut the dividend and 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 it costs me in the next 2 or 3 years, it's not going to affect me personally but even if that happens i think a decade from now it would still work out to be a profitable investment um, so again it depends on your your individual situation as an investor if you're if you're retired or close to retired or if you're looking to buy this to count on I- income today and you really couldn't afford it if they had to cut the dividend you, you that that would you know be a, a big a big hit to you then i It probably wouldn't be the right stock to buy, Uh, but if you're thinking for the long term and you're still working today, and this is part of you know retirement, 10 or 20 or more years from now, um, then, then I absolutely. Could 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 see somebody making a call. So and, and the biggest the biggest reason why I feel that way is because I have a lot of faith in Mike Arlen, the CEO, and the team that he has around him. Uh, he's he's been uh, developing renewable projects for something like thirty years now. Uh, he has a l- long track record of success. Um, he's familiar with the with the the government side, and the regulatory side. Um, again, he's very well aligned uh, as the CEO of Pattern Development, the development company. Uh, and the CEO of Pattern Energy, uh, the Yield Co. So you have alignment uh, in, in management there. And I think that's really, really important. Um, and again, you look at what they did over the past year, selling off assets, just again, just like it's going to sound like exactly what we just said about Brookfield Renewable. they They sold assets at a higher yield multiple than what they paid when they redeployed that capital into new assets. And when you have a management that has a clear record of being able to, Get a better premium when they sell something than they pay when they buy something. I think you can feel pretty confident that that you have a management team that's really disciplined when it turn- comes to managing capital.
0: Sure, definitely an interesting opportunity for investors to look at, particularly with this high yield and, and the near-term questions. The long-term opportunity is, is certainly there. Yeah, Jason, the last yield co I want to talk about today is Next Era Energy Partners, ticker NEP. You mentioned earlier, Next Era Energy Partners is. Uh, servicing uh, the, the the energy projects led by Next Era Energy, which is the world's largest publicly traded utility by market cap and has the country's largest renewable energy backlog, so obviously a great relationship to have for Next Era Energy partners. When you look at this yield co investment, what stands out to you?
1: So uh, the the part the partnership is great for Next Era Energy partners. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you think about Florida, which is Next Era Energy's primary market. Population's booming. Uh, there's huge demand for renewable energy, um, and that it really has uh, the partnership in a great, great position to to be able to grow. Uh, I think they have one of the more aggressive plans to grow their dividend payout. It's they're projecting uh, like a double-digit uh, dividend growth, at twelve to fifteen percent annual growth over the next four or five years. Um, so it's a much more aggressive growth rate for the dividend, and considering it, it only yields around four percent. So you, you're not getting the bigger payout that you get, but its ability to grow that payout pretty, is pretty is pretty good. So that you know, that makes it really, really attractive. Um, again, for, for investors looking for kind of that long-term ability to be able to grow the payout uh, and to grow your returns that way, it's it's really interesting.
0: Right, and when you see the way they've been acquiring their assets, really kind of novel financing. They entered a convertible equity funding agreement with KKR, which is a large private equity firm, and and through that, KKR paid nine hundred million dollars for an equity interest in this portfolio of renewable assets that Next Era Energy Partners created. You know, after they they bought some assets that dropped down from the Next Era Energy parent company. Uh, when you see you know this financing, you know they're, they're partnering up it with, with a private equity uh, company to help finance you know uh, to monetize uh, their existing assets. You know it, what advantages does this financing structure give uh, to next year energy partners and, and with that liquidity, what what might they use that for going forward?
1: You know, I think it's 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 uh, I got a, I got a message on LinkedIn from a reader about an unrelated company. Uh, with kind of a somewhat similar question that he was asking, in his case, he was asking about share issuance uh, for a particular company. And I think the key thing about it is it's just like this is this is no different from selling stock or raising debt uh, or using internal cash flows. What it really boils down to is is what is your rate of return, right? And I think that this is just another tool uh, that management has in its its tool belt of capital. Uh, to be able to use and and the the reality is that one of the reasons uh, next year energy partners' dividend yield is is low is that the you pay a higher cash flow premium to buy next year energy partners because it has a really, really good track record of growing those cash flows and growing them on a per share basis. So management has a really good track record of 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 getting very high rates of return. so this I think this is just another way to do that. I don't think it's necessarily. Uh, fundamentally, a, a necessarily a great big deal. It's just another creative way to to leverage the the best rate of return that they can get uh, on on wherever they get their capital from.
0: Sure, Jason. The, the other question mark kind of floating around next year at Energy Partners has been their relationship with PG and E. So management was really open with this on their last call. About uh, almost a quarter of of the partnerships' cash flow available for distribution has been is exposed to PG and E in one way or another management ha- has you know stuck by its guidance that even despite you know these these near term issues related to the PG&E bankruptcy they still expect uh, to achieve its 12 to 15% growth in distributions through 2023 but you know as we look at the complications that might be added by this PG&E bankruptcy to next Air energy partners is, is that anything that investors should be concerned about or just you know management has said they're, they're going to still meet their
1: targets so you know stay the course I think you have to be cognizant of it to some some extent, right? Then and, and then uh, this is, this isn't the only Yoko with exposure to that pattern energy. Uh, very early in the year, uh, mid January, the CEO uh, wrote a letter to shareholders addressing the same concern because they have a couple of wind farms uh, that sell power on long term contracts to um, to PG and E too. So uh, the 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 reality is, I think I think you have to remember that with PG and E, it's Its liabilities, because of all of the recent wildfires, are its its biggest issue. It's going to continue to need to buy power. It's going to continue to need to produce power, and I don't. Unless somehow the terms of some of these deals are just onerous, and a bankruptcy judge says, okay, you need to cut. You know, this this deal needs to get cut by thirty percent. And I I just I don't think that's the case. I think these deals are probably pretty competitive and they're pretty reasonable. Uh, but I think the bigger risk is this: just if one of these any of these deals to buy power just are a sweetheart deal, and and next year Energy Partners is just getting way too much cash flow from them, that's one thing. Um, but but I I think it's probably a bigger kind of feels like a bigger concern that it really is. I think over the long term, it's not going to really cause cause any issues.
0: Right, I mean, they're not going to turn the power off in California just because (laughs) PG&E has gone bankrupt. I sure hope they don't. For you, Jason, uh, given that I like the lights to stay on in the in the Hall household uh, over there. Yeah, when we look at Next Air Energy Partners, uh, like you said, that partnership with Next Air Energy really powerful for them. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, really good customer to have um, opportunities for growth. You know, maybe some near term concerns with PG&E, but still. A, uh, an attractive opportunity, and you know the market. The market recognizes that. That's why it only yields four percent versus you know pattern energy that has had some near term concerns, and its you know its yield got bit up for that reason. So, another interesting uh, yield co for folks to look at to kind of wrap everything up. Jason, as you look at these opportunities, uh, you know in the yield co space, is there any of these that specifically you think? Uh, was would be most attractive for investors today? Obviously, different portfolios have different needs, but for the general investor, you know, if you only had to buy one, uh, what what would you be most excited about
1: buying today? So, if if you're if 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 you could only buy one of these of these companies, no matter your situation, I would I would say Terraform Power is the one that I would suggest. You're going to get a solid yield. It reduces any potential risks of 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 weirdness with your taxes, so it's nice and clean and easy. And I think it has a tremendous pathway to growth and to grow the dividend. And you're just you're getting a nice strong yield right off the bat today. I would I would I would say Terraform Power would be the one I would suggest just about across the board.
0: Sure, you
1: can't go wrong there,
0: Jason. I think I would probably lean a little bit more towards the Brookfield Renewable. You get that exposure to Terraform Power, but as well you get. You get those hydroelectric electric assets, which which I think is really interesting. But Jason, thank you for coming on the show, sharing uh, with our investors, you know, this really interesting space to get exposure to renewables in a way that you know you really can sleep at night and get some dependable cash flow. So definitely something for our listeners to pay attention to. And thanks for coming
1: on, Jason. Absolutely, and I think five years from now that you and I both are going to be proven right for our recommendations.
0: Fingers crossed. We'll circle back in five years. <laughs> perfect. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on!